You're listening to Branch Out by Sycamore. When I made the decision to branch out of the employed healthcare system, I decided at the same time I was going to branch out of insurance. I think the paperwork and the headache that physicians have to deal with when we involve insurance, it really takes time away from us being with the patient. So it's something that I hope I will never have to look back. I'm Larson Hicks, CEO of Sycamore, and welcome to Branch Out, where I chat with healthcare professionals about broad-reaching topics like their careers in medicine, hobbies and pursuits outside the hospital, and everything in between. Welcome to Sycamore's Branch Out podcast. We've got Dr. Ewan with us this morning, and uh, we're excited about this episode. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Larson. So excited to be here. Yeah. Well, and um, just for those who aren't aren't uh, familiar with the show or just checking it out for the first time, this is this is Sycamore's, um, a company that focuses on trying to help physicians remain independent and do things kind of their own way. And so we love hearing from physicians that are approaching uh, their career in medicine in a unique way. And so we like hearing stories about you know, branching out and going into different um, lines of work outside of just the typical sort of clinical roles that um, that everyone's familiar with. So I know you've branched out uh, recently and, and we want to hear kind of the whole story. So so welcome again. And, um, and maybe just tell us where, where are you based out of? I'm currently in New Jersey. I've been here for almost 10 years. I moved here after fellowship for really for the job that I started at the time. And yeah, before that, so I, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Taiwan and I came to the country when I was 17 with my twin sister. We studied at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. We, we loved the school, but after four years, we both wanted to go to a more metropolitan cities. So she went to Seattle, worked for Microsoft, and I went to New York for Albert Einstein College of Medicine Medical School. Then, yeah, then from there, I did my residency uh, fellowship all over the East Coast, Connecticut, New York, Florida. And then 10 years ago, I, I moved here. Wow. Okay. So you've kind of done the uh, the American sort of tour, at least of the the eastern part of the state. And, right. and you say your, your twin sister went out west? She's in Singapore now. So. Oh, she is. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Sounds like a crazy journey. So you ended up specializing in internal medicine, correct? Internal medicine and then pulmonary critical care and sleep. Wow, that's a lot of subspecialties. Why did you pick internal medicine in the first place? What was the draw? Internal medicine is the 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 intellectual part. I I just love all the the medicine that's in it. Um, and yeah, and then pulmonary is is pretty much the same. And in terms of it's the physiology that really interested me. In college, I really liked physics and pulmonary physiology, the lung volumes and the capacity, all of that. It's very similar. I found that very exciting. And once I did rotations, I really loved being in the ICU. I, the, the rounds that last four or five hours, uh, 
most people hated it, but I loved it. I just love listening to the attending, talking about the cases, going through the differentials. Yeah, and then sleep was more serendipitous. It was as a pulmonary fellow, we had to see at that time, because this is what, 10, 15 years ago, the pulmonary fellows would be seeing the, the sleep patients in the hospital, those with sleep apnea, obesity, hypoventilation syndrome, because they all use CPAP or BiPAP. And just from there, I, I found sleep was fascinating. So I decided then to do a year of sleep fellowship. And so that, that's how I did, ended up doing pulmonary critical care and sleep. That's wonderful. So this is a question I, I, I like to try to ask early on in our conversations. And the question is, what do you view as the mission or the purpose for, of physicians generally? I mean, how, how do you, and, and this kind of ties in maybe with a, with a second question is how did you, how did you, why did you choose to go into medicine in the first place? Hmm. Wow, that's a profound, deep question. <laughs> <laughs> Try to keep it interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think that that um, mission, it, it really has changed over the years. I think started out, like I said, it was more of a selfish reason. It was more my own intellectual curiosity and even right. maybe taking on the challenge for myself because I'm, I'm the first physician in the family and I just wanted to do something different. I And medicine, being a doctor, it seemed like it's pretty lofty. So, I mean, big combination of those reasons, that's how I started down this path. But now that I've been practicing for 10 years, I really feel that we are supporters. We support our patients. And my privilege is... Um, that, that my experience training and the credibility that comes with the two little letter MD behind my name, it, it gives me the privilege of earning trust from a lot of times complete and total strangers. And with that trust and my access to credible evidence-based scientific information, I'm able to have an opportunity to encourage patients and empower them. Uh, really, empowerment is the key, is to empower them to make the right choices that fit their lifestyle, their needs, their goals, to live healthier and fuller lives. That's wonderful. I love it. And I love what you said about the privilege of gaining trust and, and the responsibility that comes along with that trust and the, the, the underlying purpose that you talked about is supporting patients. And, and I think that's a, that's a great definition. And you're right. It is kind of a big philosophical question, but it's, I think it's important because, because we see a lot of physicians who are burned out and are, are kind of, um, adrift in their practice and, and have kind of lost sight of what it is that they're even doing there, why they're, why they're there. And so I think having a purpose, understanding your purpose is, is a way to, to kind of anchor yourself, um, when things are difficult and understand that, that you're, you've got a purpose here. You're doing something that means that matters. And, um, and I think you, everyone needs that when they're, when their job, whatever it is, starts to get difficult. 
when I was、uh, younger, when I was a child, and I was tr- trying to think what I was going to do when I grew up, one of the idea that I did have, and I don't know why I would have this kind of maturity at that time, but in, this was, you know, probably more an exception than how I I was, but. I thought that the the job that I would want to do is something that even when I get tired of it, I would still know that would on a day to day basis I was helping people, and I think that's how、um, I feel about medicine, and and it also it's also I think part of the reason why it takes some it took some time for me to branch out, because even though there was the overall Burned out, me with with the system, but the the individual, the the one to one interaction with patient was still very satisfying,、uh, on an ongoing basis. That's great, and it sounds like you've got a very you know everybody's got a different as as they and this is a great thing about going through those different rotations and different specialties is sort of finding your lane, finding the thing that that really captures your your.、Um, Passion and your your imagination. It sounds like you're a very intellectual kind of physician who really likes the the research aspect and the、uh, problem solving aspects. I think I think we work with a lot of emergency physicians who kind of like the excitement and they like the intensity and they like making the difference between life and death. You know, sort of in that moment. You know,、um, where it sounds like you you like. Understanding these complex systems and 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 really digging deep is that is that fair? Yeah, I think、um, the the what I enjoy most about um, um, having being board certified in four different specialties and, and、um, being able to practice pulmonary critical care and sleep is actually、uh, able to do all of that. That I it can be it's. Critical care is fast-paced. It's a、um, life and death situation right in front of me.、Um, the, the pulmonary medicine itself is intellectual.、Uh, there's procedures involved, and, and sleep is something that is very、uh, personal and universal. So it's like it, it's a sample of all these different things. It's like a appetizer that I get to. Try. I, I get a taste of all three on a daily basis, and and that's what I love about being a multi specialist. That's awesome. I love that, and and I love I love that you've kind of built built through your training a way to get a little slice of 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 everything in your practice. So so t- I'm. It sounds like you've kind of branched out a little bit and and have started to work. Uh, dig deeper into、uh, building your own practice and sleep.、Um, so, can you tell me a little bit ab- about that? Yeah. So, I created Beehive Sleep Health. It's a online telehealth sleep practice and a coaching service for women. So, what I noticed in my personal life and friends around me, and also just in, in practice in the past ten years, is that、uh, for women, when life gets busy. Sleep drops to the bottom of our very long to-do list, and at the same time, women face many unique sleep challenges. And the prime example is the hormonal changes that we go through across the lifespan, from 
menstrual cycles, pregnancy, menopause can directly impact sleep. So uh, between can't sleep and don't sleep, many women are exhausted and running on fumes. So yeah, so that's why I created Beehive. I wanted to use my 10 years of clinical experience helping thousands of patients getting full night's rest to help women. My goal now is to help women get their rest back uh, through slow and uh, sustainable transformation. And what I mean by that is helping women make um, better sleep choices, sleep changes without having to change or give up on their current priority. And so achieve their sleep goal by making small but impactful changes around their current routine that's based on their unique circadian rhythm. That's awesome. Well, sleep sleep comes up a lot in these conversations with doctors, and, and I stand in awe of physicians who who work night shifts and who switch back and forth between night and day. I just, I can't imagine it personally. Um, we've, my wife and I have had a lot of kids. And so I, I certainly understand being sleep deprived. She does better than I do for sure. Um, but, but the, you know, that's, that's uh, fortunately not been something that's, that's really seriously impacted my sleep in any long sustained sort of way. Um, but it is fascinating. I watched, I don't know if you've seen the, um, Joe Rogan episode with, uh, Dr. Matthew Walker, um, the sleep expert and neuroscientist, but he was, it was just fascinating to me, that whole conversation. Have you, have you seen that episode? Uh, I'm familiar with the Dr. Walker, but I don't think okay. I've seen that specific episode yet, but yeah, but he's a, he's a great uh, sleep scientist for sure. Sleep diplomat, I think is his, uh, is his website. Um, what, what are the, what are the, the, the myths that you see that are the most pernicious out there about sleep? Uh, yeah. So there, there are quite a few, but I would say the most pernicious one, because it really affects both men, women, good and bad sleepers is the idea of perfect sleep. And I think that comes from the, in the media, there's a lot of numbers that get thrown around. The eight hour sleep, 5 a.m. club, uh, 25% REM sleep, a hundred sleep score. Like all these numbers make people feel that there's a certain gold medal that they're going after. And if they don't get to those numbers, they've either failed or they're, they've not tried hard enough. So sleep, uh, it's been compared to performance, sports, competitive sports, skills. That's all adding to this misconception, which, which is very understandable. But I think a better analogy for sleep would be like our body size. So we know that there's no ideal size. Everybody is different and unique. There is a range for each person that would be considered more healthy. And if you're outside that range, exercise and eating healthy would help. But we, we shouldn't compare sizes between different people because we're all built differently. And it's the same thing for sleep. 
what our ideal sleep looks like, it really depends on the given time, circumstances, and our biology. And we, we need to each figure out what it looks like. That's great. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And, and I was tempted to ask the question, you know, what's the ideal amount of sleep? And I'm glad I didn't because because it is it's such a, a, a common uh, it sounds like it's a very common misconception. I've always heard it. And I feel like, you know, it's one of those things we've we've now I wonder what your, th- your thought is on this. But I see this in medicine. This doesn't, you know, sleep is just one example. But all over medicine, every time we have new tools to measure things, you know, it's like having a hammer and everything becomes a nail. And so we're now all wearing, you know, I'm wearing my wearable GPS, right? Uh, watch that, that tracks my heart rate and certain people get really obsessed with tracking their sleep. And, um, and, and like you said, there are these goals that you start to try to hit. And, and, um, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, well, you actually need to, to first figure out what's, what's the right goal for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm all for these trackers. I think they're great sure. for monitoring our sleep health and help us prioritize sleep and pay attention because that's the first step. Uh, pay attention to sleep, uh, monitor it, trend it, see what it's like over time. Just get to know your sleep. That's the first step to become a good sleeper, becoming your own sleep expert. And, um, and, and using, and that then, that information will allow people to use sleep as a tool to optimize their overall health and performance. So I think these wearables, trackers, definitely when used correctly, they can really be a powerful tool. That's awesome. I'm, I, I remember hearing, in Dr. Walker's talk about some of the awful effects of lack of sleep, what, what do you, what do you see as being some of the biggest impacts physiologically and psychologically? Just what are the biggest kind of negative impacts of not getting the appropriate amount of sleep or, or good sleep? Yeah, I, I think the, that's a great question. And, and the sub question to that is, what would not be impacted when we sleep poorly? Wow. Because really, really, really is everything from the things we're familiar with, cardiovascular system, our blood glucose, our immunity, uh, our metabolism, our brain function, cognition, memory, mood, mental health. It, it, it really is, is everything. It, sleep is at the center of health. I think I heard, I heard again, Dr. Walker say that, that short sleep or lack of sleep appropriately predicts all causes of mortality, which was like totally mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Why is this not something that is like a crisis? Like why aren't people, you know, now that we're seeing these connections, why are we not, um, just aggressively? I mean, if, if it's so, dangerous and it's so impactful, you know, we've, we clearly don't have a problem creating urgency and, and panic about the things that we, that, that we, the media, whoever it is, pharmaceutical companies want to, want to have us panic about why, why aren't we panicking about this? I, I think we should. And 
just because it, it feels like we're not, I think it definitely doesn't um, mean that it's, it's not urgent. And I think with any public messages, it takes time, it takes effort. And I think that takes uh, one person at a time, one doctor at a time to speak up in, in different avenues, whether it's one-to-one with our patients or taking the time and speaking out in the public. Uh, it, it's like, um, you know, any, any public health concerns or warnings, it, it, it takes time to, to raise public awareness and, and just, uh, like right now, being on your show and talking yeah. about this, I think if we can get two, three people more to spread the message, then, then we're on a good track. Yeah, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I feel like there's so many factors contributing to lack of sleep. And it, and it's kind of like a whack-a-mole situation where I'm sure if you deal with one and you get another issue, I, I know for me, you know, work is part of it. Um, you know, family time is part of it. A lot of it is, is I'm sure lack of, of, of discipline about, you know, waking up and, and going to bed. And I think living in a, you know, modern, electrified world where there's lights everywhere and there's screens everywhere. I'm sure that has an impact. What, what are the biggest in your experience, what are the biggest things that, that are impacting people's sleep habits? I would think that, um, electronic device, um, that's definitely a big one. The, the impact of our phones and laptops, iPads on, on sleep is, is twofold. One is the, the direct blue light exposure, which affects our circadian rhythm, delay our sleep onset, makes it harder to fall asleep, especially in teenagers. Uh, the other part is the mental stimulation or sometimes anxiety and stress by being on doing whatever that we're doing on our phone and laptops can cause. And, and that that affects our ability to fall asleep and the quality of sleep once we do go into sleep. So um, that I think would be the number one, um, which I understand it's also the hardest for people to give up on because it, it's a lifestyle. It's funny. I've been, I've been advertised by social media, I don't, you know, they know that I want this product. And so they just keep pushing it to me. It's, it's a, it's a tablet called uh, the remarkable is what it's called. And it's like a, I'm advertising for them now. So th- this is successful, successful on their part. Um, but, but it's, uh, it doesn't have blue light. It's, it's like a paper white style, um, um, tablet that does email and, and you can write on it and mark things up and, you know, it's, it's, it's a step closer to, to paper. And, and that's why I keep coming back to it because I'm, I know I, I, I do, you know, I do stuff with work, but then when I'm done with work, I do stuff with church and, and I write a lot of things and I'm involved in, I'm trying to write a book right now. And so I end up finding myself needing to be in front of a stupid screen, a bright blue light screen all the time and I hate it and I want to turn it off, but I also can't seem to get away from it. And so I've thought about like, maybe I need to get a typewriter, you know, maybe, uh... maybe I, need to, I need to find a way to, to be able to, to, to do these things without staring at a screen. Right. Or just the old uh, pen and paper. 
pen and paper. I'm a terrible, terrible hand, you know, terrible handwriting, but you know, that's another lost art, you know, because I started typing in junior high, you know, and so oh. I can type, you know, a hundred times faster than I can, than I can write. I can't, and, and writing is so slow right, that my right. brain is like five sentences ahead by the time I finally you know, get it written. So now it's a real, it's a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about uh, dictating? Yes, that's actually something I've recently started doing a lot more of is just dictating. And I haven't done like, te- you know, talk to text dictating, but I've been just recording and then I can listen to the audio and type it up later. Um, so I, I think that's a great, that's a great solution. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so I think that that definitely helps with, in terms of bedtime habits, it helps with reducing the blue light exposure, which uh, even, most of the phones nowadays that you can, there's a function where you can turn off the, the blue light, or you can also get these uh, glasses that filter out blue lights and wear them at night. So th- those are options too. Have you seen those, those blue light filter glasses be effective? Yeah. I, I, I don't have one personally, but I've uh, seen them on online. Yeah, and and um, I mean they are not hard to make, so I wouldn't. I don't think that um, they would be ineffective. The, they would they would most of the time do what they're supposed to do. But there's then there's the other component of the mental stimulation and not relaxing and winding down before going to bed. That aspect is is still there, even if we filter out the blue light. That's great. So you're doing sleep medicine essentially via telemedicine. So how, tell me, tell me about that. How does that work, and what what uh, what are your different um, approaches? Yeah. So telehealth, it's a video consultation, and I'm licensed in five states: New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Florida, Kentucky. So I'm able to see, see patients in, from those five states. But for the coaching service, then that is, is not medical, medical based. It's, it's providing guidance. Um, so then that is, uh, nationwide. And what I do is currently is, is one-to-one consultation depending on what the needs are. I usually give a screening uh, questionnaire first. To see if, if they're here, they're not in one of those five states and they're here for uh, coaching, then I have, want to make sure that there's not a medical sleep disorder that we need to rule out first. In that case, I would have them see their local sleep physician first before having our consultation. Is it, um, are you billing insurance or this, is this kind of a direct pay sort of service? It's direct pay. One of the ideas as you were talking that occurred to me, this has probably already occurred to you, but I know that since COVID, there's been a, a, a huge increase in CMS has, has opened up a lot of new codes for, for telehealth and, and also for remote patient monitoring. And I, I wonder if there's a scenario where you could have your patients buy a device, they may even be able to get insurance to help with the device. But then there's there, I know there are codes, remote patient monitoring codes out there for that allow you essentially to bill insurance monthly. If a, if a patient is using 
a device um, that, that's medically prescribed and that you're monitoring. Um, have you looked into that at all? No, I'm not familiar with that. And I wonder what device would qualify. Yeah, right. That's a good question. I know. Th- I mean, it's been kind of a um, it's been kind of a gold rush, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, since all these codes came out, everybody's trying to find different ways to tap into it. And we work with some companies that are involved in some different um, remote patient monitoring devices. Nothing with with sleep, but I have to think, you know, and again, it's like the statistics are just crazy. I mean, as, as I'm, as, as I've looked through and read, you know, read about sleep, it's like, you know, car accidents, you know, uh, cancer, Alzheimer's. I mean, there's so many things that are directly, that have been proven to be directly related to sleep. So I would just think that the preventative, um, impact, health impact that you can make by providing sleep monitoring and, and sleep uh, consulting would, could be really profound and could lower, you know, utilization of the healthcare system dramatically, um, right? For, for your patients. Yeah. I, I think if we wait for insurance to catch on, and first of all, we, it, it would cut, Cut away a lot of the physician burnout, but part of it is dealing with insurance. I totally agree. Yeah. And the other part, I think there's, they're usually behind the curve rather than with or ahead of it. Yeah. You're right. And, you know, this is something we talk about a lot. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the first person to be really critical of the healthcare system and big business in, in healthcare. I love any and every way that, physicians can exit the system and connect directly with patients. It's almost always seems to be a far better patient experience, far better outcomes, um, and far cheaper, you know, for, for the patient and, and more profitable for the physician. So it's, it's like in every measurable way, it seems like cutting insurance out of the picture, cutting uh, big healthcare systems out of the picture you get these huge gains and this seems like an area where you really can function sort of off the grid in a way that, that, uh, that, that's effective. Yeah. I think when I made the decision to branch out, uh, branch out of the healthcare system, well, I guess branch out of the employed healthcare system, I, I decided at the same time I was going to branch out of, uh, insurance. I think that the paperwork and the, headache that that physicians have to to deal with when we involve insurance it really takes time away from us being with the patient so it's something that i hope i'll never have to look back no that's great and and good for you i think you're i think you're on the right track and you know just because you can get paid for a remote patient monitoring device doesn't necessarily mean that it's something you should do um it's one of those it's just one of those interesting you know things that you think about but but that that does bring bring the question though that that is there a way you know you could potentially as part of your package perhaps you know incorporate a device that you trust that you've worked with that you know how you know how how it works and and create a mechanism for uh, recording and reporting and, and some accountability. I mean, I imagine that's a big part of this whole thing is is really just having a plan, sticking to it regularly, getting feedback and coaching. And that accountability piece really, really, I, I imagine would help. Right. Yeah. I, um, so we have 
kind of already a sample of that is with the patients using CPAP. There, they have a very good monitoring tracking system. So their usage, the machines, the treatment efficacy, everything, the patients can review that on their phone. And also the information gets uploaded to the cloud and physicians can directly review that without patients having to juggle the, the, the big machine back and forth like they used to. And, and it used to also, they have to bring this chip, mail it to the DME company. So all of that is so much better. And it definitely helps us understand what the patient is doing and the challenges they're facing with. So now that nowadays with everybody having a wearable and a sleep tracker, and right. I hope that that's how we can use this technology and monitor patients' sleep and use that to, to help them become better sleepers the, the same way we've been doing with sleep apnea patients. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think that's a exciting, exciting development, um, and a step forward for sleep medicine. I think it's, um, I think it's great and that you're pushing this and I, I hope that more do. And, and I'm, I feel, you know, challenged here just by talking to you just to, to remember how important this is and something that I, that I need to not, um, push down. It, it it's so easy, isn't it? I mean, I, I it's already hard enough for me to, diet and exercise and do all these other things I know I need to be doing. Um, and sleep just seems to be another one of those things that it's just easy to bump to the bottom of the list. Yeah. Yeah. To, to cut 30 minutes before, uh, at the tail and at the head of it. And then before you know it, you're, you're one hour less than your, um, regular sleep time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's very common you're, you're not the only one. And, you know, that's why we need to talk more about it. That's right. How do you, what are the most common indications to you that somebody's not getting enough sleep or not getting the right kind of sleep? Like what are the, what are the real key obvious ways that it presents? Number one is, uh, this is, Maybe going a little bit against what we talked about before that there's no ideal sleep. But if your sleep is less than six hours, most likely you're not getting enough. That's number one. But that doesn't mean if you're getting over six hours, you're getting enough. Um, it, it, but it's less than six hours. It, it's, it, there's a definitive problem, more likely a definitive problem there. Number two is if you feel sleepy and this is where you have an irresistible urge to fall asleep at the wrong time, the wrong place. At when you're driving, working in front of a computer, or any time when you sit down and you're not active, you feel like you can fall asleep. That's a that's another sign. Now, other issues, then it's more if you have medical comorbidities, medical problems like high blood pressure, diabetes, heart attack, history of strokes. And, and also your age. As, as we're older, we're more prone to getting sleep issues. So these are more the uh, subtle, not direct sleep symptoms, but more risk factors that would alert you to maybe having your sleep evaluated uh, because of potential sleep disorders. Hmm. 
So another thing that that I've I've been a uh, I've been advertised to on social media, and I, and now I'm thinking this is this is hilarious because you're you're like you're closing all these deals for these social these advertisers <laughs> who, who who must know they probably are looking at my social media activity and going this guy never sleeps. <laughs> we need to advertise things to him to help him sleep. But but I drink a ton of coffee. I mean that's just. I, you know, it's both my wife and I drink a lot of coffee and, and, and I drink it mostly cause I just like having a warm cup of something. I like the flavor. Um, and, and honestly, I don't drink a lot of decaf mostly because I just don't like decaf, but, but truthfully, I don't really care a whole lot about the caffeine. Uh, most of the time, I don't, I feel like I do notice the bad effects of caffeine. Like I feel, I'll, I'll find myself, especially in the afternoon, if I have coffee, I'll, I'll feel a little jittery, right? Um, but I keep drinking because I just like coffee, right? <laughs> but mm. what's your, what, what's the impact of caffeine, uh, on sleep and, and how do you, how do you think about it for, for most people? Yeah. So coffee and sleep, uh, there's a direct impact. So when we're awake, our body makes adenosine. And that's a neurochemical that acts in the brain that makes us feel sleepy and tired. It what It's what causes our sleep pressure, sleep drive to build up at night and it allows us to fall asleep. Caffeine directly acts against adenosine. It blunts the effect of adenosine. So um, if we still have caffeine around in our body late at night, that makes it harder to fall asleep. How... Um, caffeine affects everybody though, um, in terms of, um, the, the amount that is needed to achieve the same, uh, effect and how long it lasts is it, different for everybody. So, so there's not one recommendation that is, um, that fits, uh, everyone. So, but I think for your case, Larson, I think if you're concerned that, that there may be potential sleep issues that, that need to be looked into. You drink a lot of coffee, but you think it's because you like it and it's not because of the caffeine. I think that's where, uh, we come into the gray area. Um, is it, is it really true? Right. And, um, and I think that's a challenge that you might uh, want to take on one day. So for a week, drink decaffeinated coffee just to get, I guess, I don't want to use the word detox because um, caffeine in itself, it's not necessarily bad if it's um, used it strategically, but just to see how your body reacts without caffeine. And if you have, if you feel very tired or sleepy, then that may suggest that Caffeine, in a way, is a, is a crutch that you're using to make up the sleep deficit. Right, right. No, that's a good that's a good point. And I and I don't think um, I've run that experiment before. And so that's probably the next step. I might try to get my wife to do it with me. I think my guess is she will she will violently oppose this idea of of trying trying to go without coffee. She. She seems to think she absolutely needs it. Um, but I find that she, I find that she has coffee in the afternoon and then she's still sleepy. You know, it doesn't mm. really, 
just they like wake her up. It's she's still sleepy, and so um, so I, I I wonder if um, I wonder what kind of um, I, I think she would say she knows exactly what will happen if she stops drinking coffee. <laughs> she will be very sleepy. Yeah, so in that sense, she doesn't need the challenge because she knows the answer. But for you, yeah, she knows the answer. Yeah, yeah. So, but just to, when you when you do try that challenge, make sure you don't stop all at once, but maybe taper it off over a few days. So you the because just withdrawing from caffeine itself and it could give you other symptoms like headaches. Does tea have substantially less caffeine than coffee, or is it pretty similar? It really depends on the the tea. Yeah, some are are very strongly caffeinated. Really. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I, I end up drinking, you know, I, I switch from coffee to tea in, in like mid morning. Most mornings I'll have a couple cups of coffee in the morning and then sometime in the mid after, you know, mid morning I'll I'll brew a pot of, of tea and then uh and then yeah, sometime in the afternoon I'll have some more coffee. So I'm I'm certain I'm just a a, a raging addict and I and I'm in denial. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, that's a good, it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge. I'm going to take you up on this and I will follow up. Uh, yeah, I know let me you know. don't treat, you don't, you don't treat men, but, but, uh, I'll, I'll have, I'll have my wife ask for me. All right. All right. <laughs> so, um, so how, how long have you been, when did you start the practice? The, uh, one, let's just actually, yeah, the practice. So I started working on it uh, late last year. And the official launching of the practice was last month in, in April. That's wonderful. Well, I'm excited for you and, and I'm excited to hear how this goes. I think it's a, I think it's always a wonderful thing to see a, a, a talented physician like you go and tackle a, a new project like this, a new business opportunity. I hope that it's wildly successful. And, um, I think that. It should be, especially if we can get this message out that, that sleep is such a massively important factor in our overall health and well-being. Yeah. Thank you, Larson. Yeah. Well, um, we, we started a little late and I know, um, and I know you probably need, need us to end on time. So I don't want to take a whole lot more time, but are there any other important topics or, or issues that we didn't, we, that you'd like to make sure we talk about before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think, uh, okay. we, we talked on a lot of interesting topics. Yeah. Thank you for all these great questions. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fascinating. And, and I really would love to, to, um, continue to learn on about sleep. I think it's, it's, a, this is a great reminder for me that this is such an important thing and not to, not to just be, um, apathetic about it, but to actually take, take it seriously. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing and, and I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to, uh, to have this, this good reminder, uh, to, to take it, take it more seriously. So thank you for, for coming on the show. Yeah. So excited to hear that. That is yes, great. Yes. No, no, yeah. absolutely. I, absolutely. I think I'm, I'm somewhat of an easy sell because I'm, I've done a little bit of research and I've, I've felt guilty about it for a while, but I, but I haven't, but I, you know, look up and it's been years since I did a lot of that research and I still haven't really done anything serious about it. So it's a, it's a good reminder that it's time. Great. 
Yeah, and if、um, any of the listeners would like to connect with me more about what we talked about, yes, yeah. So the、um, please、uh, shoot me a direct message on any of your favorite social media platforms. I'm active on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and the my handles for all of those are Bhai B H A I Sleep Health, all in one word. B H A I Sleep Health. All one word, and and again, we're speaking with Dr. Carol Ewan Duclair. She is an internal medicine physician with with fellowships in in critical care, pulmonary disease, and and sleep medicine, and、uh, runs the Beehive Sleep Health、um, telemedicine practice. and uh, And I think、uh, I think it would be a really valuable thing for anyone, especially a, a woman, to to go and and check it out. So thanks, thanks again for coming on the show, and and、uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you, Larson. Thank you for listening to Branch Out by Sycamore. Check us out at sycamoredocs dot com. That's sycamore d o c s dot com.